Vanessa. Uh, my name is Zach Thompson. I'm on staff here at Calvary Bible Church, and we're continuing our series that we're calling Flourish. The idea is that in light of what Jesus has done for us, the love that he has shown us that shapes and informs the relationships that we have with other people, based off of what Jesus has done that shapes how we love others. Uh, two weeks ago, we, we kicked this off by looking at uh, the book of Colossians in chapter three, and it's this, uh, d- this reminder of what Jesus has done for us, that he's died for us, he's lavishly loved us, and it's in light of that that shapes our relationships, that shapes how we love other Christians, those that Jesus has joined us with. Last week, we applied this idea to a specific relationship in marriage. And today we're going to do something similar. We're going to apply this idea of Jesus' love shaping our relationships to another specific relationship. One of the things that that the modern church, in particular the American church, has has focused on, and I think rightly so, it's focused on uh, this idea of community. That so much of our culture, it can be very individualistic. It can be very limited to just ourselves. And so it's the the reminder that we are joined to others. We need other people. And and the church has done a really good job of helping us to see that we are joined in community by Jesus. So often we read the Bible and we see the promises of God and we personalize those. This, This is about me. And that's good. We should do that. God's promises are for you. But it's the reminder as well that it's not just for us that all those in Christ are joined together. We receive the promises of Jesus. We are brought near, connected to each other because of what Jesus has done. But as the church is focusing on on that aspect of relationship, it tends to come with it a, a neglect for the creation and maintaining of friendships those individual, those personal relationships, those, those close, intimate friendships that we have with other people. And this at times even shows up in our teaching. It's become popular to, to, to preach in a way that, that looks at the different words that are used for love that's found in the New Testament. The New Testament was originally written in Greek, and so uh, as you read through it in English, there's, there's different words that are used in Greek to, to mean our one English word for love. Maybe you've heard a message like that before, and if you haven't, that's totally fine. I'm gonna talk about why I don't think it's the best teaching in a little bit. But one of, one of uh, there, the teaching goes like this, that there are a variety of words meaning love found in the New Testament. And the best one, the one that we focus on, is the word agape. This is an unconditional love. It's self-sacrificial. It is loving people without restraints. Uh, this is the, the love that Jesus has shown for us. And so it's the love that we have for other people in response to Jesus. Agape love. You contrast with, something, uh, with this with something lesser, like phileo, which is the love between friends. That, that's a, a lesser love. Christians are called to do something deeper than that, something more substantial. So here's my problems with that that style of teaching. Uh, The first is that the New Testament doesn't actually do that. Uh, As you read through it, the most common word for love is agape. Even in places that we say, this doesn't look self-sacrificing or unconditional. We might even say, this is sinful love, and it's called agape. Uh, The second part of that is it uses the words agape and phileo interchangeably at times. Even in our passage in John 15, it says, uh, you are to love one another, agape love, in in a way, have this love for your friends, phileos. It's using them interchangeably. How how can that be if they're supposed to be these different things? Uh, 
But my, my other problem that I have, and it actually relates to our time that we're having this morning, I think there's nothing wrong with helping Christians to see the depth of the love that we are to have for one another, to helping us to see how, how sacrificial we are to love, how, how, uh, how not self-serving we are to be with other Christians. I think that's a really good message to teach. And I say that as someone who taught that message two weeks ago. It's a really good indicator for us to have of how deep the love Christians are to be for other Christians. We just don't need grammar to make that point for us. Because what we can do when we're in, having that message is we're elevating Christian love. We're actually putting down friendship. That's a lesser love. That's something less significant. And that's just not true. We desperately need friends. I mean, yes, the, the church needs the church and we are so grateful to have all of the Christians who surround us, who point us to Jesus. That is a wonderful gift to have, but there are far too many of us in this room to be friends to one another, to really know someone, for me to be known, for you to be known, to, to know what's going on in my life, for me to share without any reservation, for, for you to not just know the details of my life, but to know me. There's far too many people in here to have that kind of relationship. When difficulty hits, we can't speed dial the church. We need to call a friend. The problem is, is that friendship is in decline. It's a bit of a dated study, but it's a, it's a long view study. I really like long view studies. And it started back in uh, 1985. So the study looked at, at, at friendship in America and they said the average American has three friends. Now it's really important how they define friends. You look at modern studies and they say, well, there's really not that much of a different trajectory in friendship, but they're defining friends at times as someone that you regularly communicate with. So does that mean when I, I was a really good friend with Chase customer service after my credit card got stolen? I, that's, I don't think that's friendship there just because I was talking to them a lot. This study defines friendship as uh, someone that we can confide in, people with whom we share the most important things of life. That when something good happens, we think of this friend. When something bad happens, we think of this friend. They said in 1985, the average American had three friends that meet that description. You jump forward 19 years uh, to 2004, and they saw that it dropped to two. The average American had two friends that met that description and one in every four Americans didn't have anyone who met that description. What's happened in the last 20 years? Do we think that's gone up or gone down? As the Surgeon General is saying that loneliness is an epidemic, as we see that the people, uh, there's even trends in social media where uh, someone asks the question like, what do, what do guys do when, when they uh, have something really good happen in their life? Like, who do they talk to? And like, it's all these responses that come like, no one, we don't talk to anyone. I think we've seen friendship drastically decline, even from that really low number of two people, one in every four Americans, saying that they don't have anyone that fits that criteria. And we've seen in that time, all of these companies uh, come up, because what's more American? We see a problem. How can we monetize this problem? And so we have uh, social media uh, that, that pops up as, as different ways that you can get better engagement with your online friends. But we continue to see that they are a poor comparison to the real thing. Or even there's companies that are being started where uh, you can pay them and, and you can rent a friend. So when you have an event coming up or an activity to take part in, you don't have to do it alone because you rent a friend from them. 
And we got a little chuckle there. Like the idea of, of doing that. Like, do people really not have anyone around them? But I want to ask you another question on that. How deep are the friendships that we have? I mean, maybe we have people around us, people that we could chat with. Like, it, it's, not, it's not to the point that we're looking to rent a friend. Like, there's people that, that, I, that I'm friendly with. But how deep are those relationships? Do they know you? Do they know what's going on in your life? Do they care about you in a way that meets this idea of friendship? Friendship is so vital to life. Augustine, he, he's one of the most influential uh, people in church history. He said, two things are essential to this world. Two things are essential. Life, I mean, that's a no-brainer, right? Like, we need to live to be in this world. And friendship, at the same level. Life and friendship. Both must be prized highly and not undervalued. They are nature's gifts. We are created by God that we might live. But if we're in, Though, if we are to not live solitarily, we must have friendship. We see how valuable friendship is with how consistently it shows up within the Bible. I think of Ruth and Naomi, David with Jonathan, Paul had Timothy, even Jesus himself had Peter, James, and John. We talked about how we were in the book of Colossians two weeks ago. If you look at how Colossians ends, it is Paul giving updates and encouragements to his friends. But we see how vital friendship is when we look at the fact that God is a God of friendship. That one of the reasons why Jesus came to this world is so that he might make us sinful human beings his friend. Look once again at, at John chapter 15. John 15, and we'll pick it right back up where, where Vanessa read it for us earlier. This is verse 12. It says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants. Uh, servant was a way that Israel was for, referred to in the Old Testament. No longer are you called that. For a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For you've heard from my father. For all that you have heard from my father, I have made known to you. See, what we have in Jesus is the greatest picture of friendship that there is, and that is the cross. Greater love knows no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. That Jesus has come and he died this death on the cross to make us his friends. It's a picture of self-sacrifice, of unconditional love that, that we don't see anywhere else. I mean, maybe we have someone who says, yeah, I take a bullet for you, bro. But this is Jesus actually doing it, valuing friendship with us as greater even than his life laying down his life so that he might call us friends. I mean, you could summarize the story of the Bible with this idea that Jesus came to this world to reconcile us to God, to make us friends with God, not counting our sins against us because he died this death in our stead. God saves us to befriend us. 
the passage clarifies as well, uh, who are these friends of Jesus? It says, uh, if you do uh, what I command, uh, let's make sure I actually get the wording uh, of it. Uh, you are my friends if you do what I command you. And, and so that may sound like if I do what Jesus commands, then that means I'm his friend, then that means he died for me. But that's not the way this is written. The whole focus of it starts at the beginning, as I have loved you. The, the, the first cause of this is Jesus' love for us, which is him laying down his life. We then, in response to that, in response to being made friends of Jesus, demonstrate that we have been made friends with him by obeying him, by doing what he commands us. And what he commands us is, is made clear in this passage as well. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So we love each other as friends because that is how Jesus has loved us. We put value in friendship because of the value that Jesus has put in us. We seek to make friends because we recognize what Jesus has done to make us his friends. There's no greater picture than that. But we do have plenty of other pictures. All throughout the Bible, there's examples of friendships, there's, there's a teaching as to what friendship ought to look like. And so I wanna spend a little bit of time on that. What is friendship? What is it that friendship looks like? Now, in no way could I possibly give an exhaustive list of this or, or could I capture uh, all friends in a short period of time because friendship looks different with, with different groups of people. But at a minimum, I, I think friendship entails these four things that we find from, uh, from the book of Proverbs. Four things that, that exist within any biblical friendship. Any friendship that's meeting that need, that's responding to the love of Jesus, looks like these things. And the first thing is a binding. Friendship entails a binding, a bringing together, a, a making one aspect of two people who are so close that it's this bond that's between them. And this comes from Proverbs 18, verse 24. It says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's this idea, this sticking together, this closeness that's possible, these, these friends who have this bond that's between them, this binding that's happened because of, of, of the love and care and vulnerability that they have for one another. There's a, 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 in, there is an image of this uh, that we get from the Old Testament, and it's one of the best pictures of friendship that we find throughout the Bible. The picture of friendship between a king, uh, not yet King David, and Jonathan, who was heir to the throne, and yet they were the closest of friends. In 1 Samuel 18, verse 1, this is the, the picture that's given to us. The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him like his own soul. His soul was knit to David, loved him like his own soul. There's this binding that's happened, this bond that's brought to them. It's this picture of vulnerability. This is no mere acquaintance. This is someone who's as close to them, loves him as he loves his own soul. This is knowing someone, not just the events of their life, but knowing them spiritually, emotionally, intellectually, knowing who this person is. This is someone who knows their soul. And if I could be honest with you, there's a little bit of uncomfortability that comes with reading that passage. 
I mean, I, I look at the friendships that I've had or, or friendships that I see, and I don't really see them often as, as close as that. I, I mean, I think about how I'm, I'm that close with my wife, but the idea of having a friend who, who knows me that well, whose soul is knit to mine, that's it's a little bit uncomfortable. I, I don't know what that looks like. And it's to the point that, that people accuse Jonathan and David as having a homosexual relationship because, I mean, there's no way that they could be this close otherwise, right? No way that they could have this platonic knitting together of their souls. There's, there's no picture that we have of, of friendship that, that's this close, this vulnerable, knowing someone this well. I mean, where do we see a picture of friendship like that? I mean, we see it in Jesus. And isn't that what we have in our friendship with Jesus? Who knows us better than him? Who cares for us better than him? Who, who loves us better than him? Who's created a bond as strong as the one that he's created with us? And what is the command that he gives to us? To love one another as I have loved you. That to love in the way that we have been loved to make friends in the way that we have been made friends with Jesus. And that is what leads to this depth of relationship that is far too uncommon, that, that we can't quite picture at the time because friendship looking like this, that's just not something that we have a category for. And yet it's the category that we're called to take with other people. It's the friendship that we need to have. It's the friendship that's in response to the love that Jesus gives to us. But we don't often see this in our life. There's plenty of people that we, we have conversations with, we could chat with, we could, we've shared hobbies, we've shared interests, and so we have lots of conversations about those things. We can tell them how the week went. They can know the events that are going on in our life. We could share a little bit about what's going on inside of us. You know, that little bit of vulnerability that looks like I'm actually sharing something, but it's not actually vulnerability. Uh, how are you doing? Oh, I'm so tired right now. How are you doing? Oh, I've just been really busy. It looks like we're sharing something. It looks like we're being vulnerable, but man, I'll tell anyone that I'm busy. I'll tell anyone that I'm tired right now. It's not actually sharing. I'm not saying that we don't experience those things, but do I get further than that? Do I share more? Do I get to the point of saying, man, I've been really struggling with this sin in my life or my marriage is falling apart? I want to be very clear so there's no worrying. That, that was a hypothetical example. I, I clarified with Emily first service. Marriage is doing fine. But who would I share if that was going on? Or, or not just the negative things. Who am I thinking of when, man, God's been doing this incredible work in my life. I, I, I need to share this with someone. Who's that person? God's been, God's been uh, giving me this spiritual renewal. I, I want to share that with someone. Who comes to mind? Is it the same person that I'm having idle chat with or do I actually have a friend like what's called to us, this bond with someone? It leads to this question as we're thinking about friendship, who are we that close with? Who is it that knows your soul? It's tied to the second aspect of friendship that we get here and that's the idea of honesty. The picture that's given to us is that if we are reserved, if we aren't sharing, if, if there's any part of us that, that's holding back, then that's not friendship. This comes from Proverbs 27, which the page got stuck last service. Let's see if I can get there. Yeah, Proverbs 27, uh, verse five. It says, better is open rebuke. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the words of a friend 
profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So the idea, there's actually two aspects of honesty that's given to us here. And the first is honesty in what we are sharing, whether or not we're open in sharing with this other person. It says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. The idea is that maybe there's someone that we care about. We love them. And if I shared that with them, this thought that I have, this truth that they need, that might hurt them. That might, uh, that might make them not feel loved. And so I'm going to hold that back. I'm not going to be honest in sharing that. It actually says better is open rebuke. Better would be a public fight right now than hidden love. We're called to honesty in what it is that we share with our friends. And then there's another side of that, and it's honesty in responding. It says faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of the enemy. Faithful uh, are, are speaking truth, being honest of what's going on rather than sugarcoating things. So we have two different sides of this honesty, honesty in sharing and responding, honesty in in transparency and candor. Friendships are defined by transparency and candor. The idea is that this this honesty uh, reveals how much trust there is in this relationship. I trust you so I can share with you. I trust you so I can respond to what's going on in your life. It's when we don't do these things, when we're not honest, it shows that there's no trust that's there. But there's another aspect to this that's, that's tied quite clearly. That it's not just honesty for being, uh, for honesty. It's not just being blindly candid with someone. It says faithful are the wounds of a friend. So I'm going to wound you all the time. Like that's not what we're called to do. It's honesty that's tied with empathy. Honesty that's tied with empathy, with care for this other person, with love for them. That we speak out of empathy, uh, that we speak with honesty out of Empathy, and this comes from Proverbs 21, 21. And that says, uh, whoever pursues righteousness. So righteousness, doing what is right. Uh, Whoever pursues righteousness and kindness. How often do we think of those uh, at the same time? That I wanna do what's right, it's also put up with kindness. Doing them at the same time. Whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life and righteousness and honor. The idea is that we seek kindness. We seek empathy with this other person because we care for them. We love them. So we're, we're treating them in that way. That there's no competition within a friendship, just mutual care. And then it's out of speaking for that care that, that we know someone, we know what they need. We can be with them in this time. One of the loneliest places that we can be is misunderstood. But within a friendship, there is empathy, there's care, and there's love, and our, and our lives are all the more benefited because of that relationship. J.C. Ryle was a bishop in England in the 1800s, and I think he captures this idea really well. He says, the world is full of sorrow because it's full of sin. It's, it is a dark place. It is a lonely place. It is a disappointing place. The brightest sunbeam in it is a friend. Friendship halves, so it cuts in half. Friendship halves our troubles and doubles our joys. The fourth thing that a friendship entails is consistency. A friendship involves consistency. 
We talked about how uh, David and Jonathan had this incredible friendship. Their souls were knit together. And in that same chapter, uh, 1 Samuel 18, uh, they base their friendship off of promise. They make a covenant with one another. Maybe we don't need something so formal in our friendships. Uh, Jonathan uh, took off his clothes and gave it to, to David. Maybe we don't need to do that as we're making friends. Uh, there's culturally relevant reason for that in 1 Samuel, but it points to the value and significance that friendships are. And we invest in the things that we value. And so as, as we have these friendships, it, it requires work, hard work to maintain and, and ensure these friendships that are had. And they're, and they're really difficult to do. They, they involve love. They involve love consistently. And that comes from Proverbs 17, 17. It says, a friend loves at all times. A friend loves consistently. And a brother is born for adversity. Now, as I'm, I'm giving us these, these categories uh, of, of binding, honesty, empathy, and consistency, it, that may start to develop a picture in our minds as to what this looks like. Maybe we have an idea of, uh, all right, if a friendship entails these things, here's what a friend must look like then. But, but this can be played out in a variety of ways. That we might have a friend who just never says the right thing. Like just every time they're open their mouth, it's the wrong thing to say. And yet they demonstrate how good of a friend they are because no matter what happens, they're there with us. They show up. Or we might have a friend who, who genuinely is busy. Like they, they can't drop things. They're, they're swamped with what's going on. And yet they constantly give you reminders as to how vital and valuable this friendship is to them. This can look different. It can be played out in a variety of ways within a friendship. But I think the problem comes when we have that idealized picture of what friendship is. And when things fall short of that, or when things aren't quite lining up, we pull the plug on consistency, ensuring that it's not going to be a friendship. Because there's a lot of reasons why we avoid friendship in our lives. And one of them is, is that idea. It takes work. It takes hard work, consistent work. I mean, we read these definitions or these descriptions of friendship and they sound great. Like, who doesn't want these things in a friend? You know, they could probably be less consistent. I, I prefer people to be flaky. Like, no one's gonna say that. But the difficulty comes when we realize that as friendship is marked by binding, honesty, empathy, and consistency, that we give those things as well. That's hard to do. That's difficult to do. People stay away from friendship because of busyness. Like genuine business. I, I, I hope I didn't undervalue. Like we should share when we're busy and we're tired. Uh, it, and it's definitely in our culture, there's plenty of reasons to be busy and add busyness on top of your busyness and it hits us in every stage of life. Parents with young kids, people at a really difficult season of work. Uh, students have a ton of pressure put on them and to manage the workload, let alone any extracurriculars on top of that. All of us hit seasons or, or even a whole lifetime defined by busyness. But my worry is that when we get busy, it could start to overshadow what we truly need. And we need friends. And my worry in sharing, if all people hear from us, oh, I'm busy, oh, I'm busy, oh, I'm busy, that if you're like me, then my response is that I don't want to add something to your plate. I don't want to bug you in this time. I'm not going to start this quest of friendship if you're busy. We avoid friendship because of the replacements that we can find in our life. We talked about technology being one. 
I, I could say uh, some of us might, might say we have a really good relationship with our spouse and, and that's, that's a great place of friendship. Or, or we, we have groups that we're part of, which our groups are really good. We should be part of them. But we don't often get as vulnerable as we need. We, don't often, we aren't often as known as we are known in a friendship in these groups. We avoid friendship because of moving. This could be moving into a different stage of life and that changes situations that are, that are going on or it could be physically moving. This becomes all the more common as, as there's different job opportunities or avoiding the higher cost of living that we move to a new place. And it's hard when we get to a new place to, well, how do we, how do we make friends here? Or the thought of, we just left friends. Do I, do I really want to try again? Like, I was really close to them. Do, do I really want to try again here? Or we might move again soon. So how much do I want to invest in this place if it just might lead to more sadness, more leaving? People leave churches more and more often as church hopping becomes a thing. And, and, it, and I hear from people that it's leading to a, a reason to be disillusioned with the church. I haven't found a single friend in any of the five churches I've been at in the last six years. Yeah, because you've been at five churches in the last six years. It's hard to do the work of consistency in that place. Or we avoid friendships because of pain. I got really hurt by someone I thought was a friend. Or we talk about this, this wonderful picture of what friendship is to be, but you know, I've never really seen it work out that way. It doesn't always seem to line up. So why get my hopes up for it? We all have plenty of reasons that we could say as to why we avoid friendship. And this is why I want to keep reminding ourselves as to why we need it. Why it's a wonderful gift to us. Why it's actually how we were made. One more proverb for us. Proverb 18.1. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. When we give in to these reasons to avoid friendship, we are breaking out against all sound judgment. I think it's remarkable that the only thing in all of creation, the only thing that's ever been called not good before the effects of sin came into this world, the only thing to be called not good before sin was loneliness. This is what Tim Keller says. He says, Adam was not lonely because he was imperfect, but because he was perfect. The ache for friends is the one ache that's not the result of sin. This is the one ache that's part of his perfection. God made us in such a way that we cannot enjoy paradise without friends. God made us in such a way that we cannot enjoy our joy without friends. Adam had perfect quiet time. Every day, 24 hours, he never had a dry one. And yet he needed friends. So how do we do this? If we talk about how important this is, if we talk about how this is a significant relationship that we all need friends, how do we actually make friends? And that's a question that gets asked by so many people. If you look at message board, it shows up all the time. There's even ones for Denver and the surrounding areas and you see it pop up regularly. How does a 25-year-old female make friends in the city? How does a 33-year-old male? How does someone with kids, someone without kids, someone who retires, someone who's swamped at work, how do we make friends? I confess at the beginning that it's one of the things that the church has, I think, missed on emphasizing well. 
And if I can continue to confess things, it's a question that I continue to ask all the time. How does someone make friends? Because I have the excuses. I got them all. I mean, we're, we're still, I think, at the point where we can say that, that we moved fairly recently. So, you know, it takes time to get, get to know the area. It's, it's a new state to be in. So, I mean, it makes sense that this has just taken a little bit of time. Or I have a really good relationship with my, my wife. She's, she's my best friend. And, and that's, that's been a, a relationship that's been enough. Or the fact that I'm really introverted. And so it's difficult for me to, to make those first steps to do this. Or, or the fact that I've been really busy. I'm trying to lead this campus here. And that, that takes a lot of time and, and a lot of stretching that goes with it. Or uh, the, the fact that I don't honestly know how honest I can be with someone while trying to be their pastor. So I ask that question of how do you make friends? But in all of our excuses, I think the first step that we have to making friends, it's the recognition that every single excuse that we can come up with, and we can come up with them, all of us in here, every excuse that we can come up with doesn't hold water because we see how vital friendship is, how important it is for every single one of our lives. And we see the picture of friendship that's given to us. Jesus calls us his friend, calls us in light of that to love as he has loved us. This picture of friendship given to us drives us to make friends. Yes, because of our need, but yes, because it's in response to the love that Jesus has shown us. So we say, it's, it's hard, I've been hurt in the past, it's really difficult. I mean. I, I understand. I'm right there with you. And yet we need to work because friendship is that important because we have such a picture of friendship given to us that we work for this thing. Even though we have the excuses, even though it's difficult, friendship is that important. And, and from that, that, from that first step, I, I, don't, I don't have much more that I could give to you. Friendship looks so different between different groups of people that, that any steps that are given uh, might not apply. But, but I do think that, that the initiation of friendship, it, it all starts with a shared cause. There, there's something that happens, some sort of a connection that's made, whether it's a shared interest or activity or similar background that becomes the foundation on which the friendship is built. Uh, C.S. Lewis put it this way, and I love this quote. He said, the typical expression of opening friendship would sound something like, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. See, friendship does take hard work, but it has to be discovered before it can be forged. And we, as a church, we want to do whatever we can to, to break down any initial, uh, any initial barriers to, to creating friendships within this church. And so we, we wanted to start something, and it's a really small thing. It's not going to be a magic solution, but we, we wanted to start a tradition here at the church as a way to try to break down any initial barriers to, to creating friendship here. Uh, next week, we're going to start something that I've really creatively called uh, Name Tag Sunday. Uh, the idea is that, is that we're going to write our names down, we're going to wear a name tag, not because that fixes everything, but one of the great barriers that we have of, I, I don't know you, I don't know you all that well, just that little bit of information of, I know your name, could be a great way to remove any barriers to, to seeing if there is that shared foundation, to, to try to discover the you too moment that we have. 
See, we as a church, we want to be the friendliest place that there is, but we don't want to stop at being friendly. We want this to be a place that's defined by deep friendships in the way that the, the Bible's given to us. So starting next week, we're going to do this the last Sunday of every month. We're going to start what we're calling Name Tag Sunday as a way to try to break down any initial barriers. But what we say is that friendship is something that's discovered before it's forged, but it does take hard work to happen afterwards. It does take uh, work to, to maintain and, and deepen these, uh, these incredible uh, relationships that, that are given to us. And it involves getting around people. I mean, we're not going to make friends here if we're rushing out the door after service. We're not going to make friends if, if we're not putting in that effort to be around the people who are here. So it takes work to get around people. And as we discover those, those you two moments, it's do those things together. Like you find someone who likes hiking, you like hiking. That's a really simple solution. Go on a hike together. You're talking to someone, they like the Broncos, you like the Broncos. They say misery loves company. So watch the game uh, <laughs> together. Uh, I, or grab food or, or have one of a variety of beverages that, that, that exist in the world together. Do something together as a way to try to deepen this friendship. Now, I know I'm not giving any groundbreaking steps. I know nothing in here is, is earth-shattering, like, ah, oh, why, why didn't I ever think about that? Name tags. I never thought about name tags before. That's why I don't have friends. Like, obviously... <laughs> That's not going to solve everything. But I actually think that the main thing that we need are not the practical steps. I mean, think of the friendships that you've had throughout your life. It's not a formula that you plug in, and that's how a friend was spit out at the end of it. A lot of times it happens naturally. But I think the main thing that prevents us from having these vital friendships is we forget how vital friendships are. So that's why I want to point us back to it. We all need these relationships. We need them. We're designed for them. This, this, time, uh, this relationship defined by binding, honesty, empathy, and consistency. We need that relationship. But more than anything else, we have the greatest foundation that there is. We, we have the, 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 best, uh, uh, the best shared thing. The, the greatest you two that, that has ever been given to us it's that we have both been befriended by Jesus. That we seek these relationships. We love because of the great love that's been given to us. We have something in common, something shared on which a friendship might be forged because of the fact that Jesus has made us his friend. Let me pray for us. Father, we are so grateful for the relationships that you've given us that none of us can live on our own. That, that is not how we're designed. That's not in a way that's for our good. That is not how we flourish. We need other people. And you've given us yourself as a friend that you have befriended us, coming and dying in our place, saving us from our sins. And yet we continue to live. We, we go through this life. We, we eagerly anticipate the day of your return, ultimately through the relationships that we have here. And so you've given us the people in our lives. You've given us the picture of what friendship looks like. You've given us the means by which we flourish. And that is each other. Help give us the courage to do the hard work. Give us the motivation to seek out friends by helping us to see the greatest motivation that there is. And that's that you have come. You have died. You have made us your friend. 
So it's in response to your great love that we seek to love others, that we seek to be a friend to others. So it's to you and you alone we pray. Amen.